friends and felons. Thank you for tuning in to Felonious Crimes. On today's episode, we will be discussing some sensitive topics such as gun violence, sexual assault, and murder. The content discussed on this podcast may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Felonious Crimes. I'm your host, Kat. Like many true crime fans, I've passed time during this pandemic consuming true crime content from podcasts and documentaries to books and magazines. I kept finding crimes I wanted more information on or just wanted to somehow understand better. And that search for information led me here, to this podcast. I hope you continue to follow me on this journey. If there's a case you'd like me to cover, please send an email to feloniouscrimespodcast at gmail.com with the title Case Request, and I'll look into it. Today's case takes us to an area not far from where I grew up. We're taking the journey to a rural community known as White Plains, Alabama. It's been about two weeks since anyone has seen or heard from the Harper brothers. Lee Harper, a 53-year-old man, employed at the Anderson Army Depot, and his brother Emmett, who was 45, worked for a local construction company. Both brothers were veterans of the Second World War who shared a car and small trailer on a farm owned by another family. The Harper brothers, who had moved away from their siblings and other relatives in Andalusia, Alabama, had asked Mr. Martin Hyatt if they could rent out a small trailer on his farm. Mr. Hyatt's farm, a 40-acre property, was home to several pigs and chickens, a hardy garden, and a field of cotton. Mr. Hyatt and his wife, Jessie, relied on Viola to take care of the main responsibilities of the farm. Viola Virginia Hyatt was the 30-year-old daughter of Martin Hyatt and stepdaughter to Jessie. Viola's birth mother passed when she was little. Her father remarried Jessie a year later. The family of three were said to be good neighbors, and Viola would do anything she could to help her neighbors out. Viola was known as a good cook who kept the house as clean as she could. Pig farming can be a messy trade, after all. Life on the farm wasn't easy, and the Hyatts were considered poor, but Viola did the best she could to help out her family, even though they didn't always see eye to eye. She would tend to the gardens, and when the time was right, butcher the hogs to sell along with produce at nearby cafes and general stores. Viola, who was born in 1929, quit school in ninth grade, along with six others, after a disagreement with a teacher. She never really held down a steady job, but worked mostly smaller jobs for neighbors and places around town when she wasn't tending to the farm. She had been bullied for her looks when she was younger and grew up to be known as a strong and sturdy woman. Those who knew her said she was a thoughtful person but had a temper. She had black hair, piercing blue eyes, and loved to wear red lipstick. Other than her bold choice of cosmetics, Viola was known as a plain woman. When the Harper brothers moved to the farm, Viola gained another source of income for the family by taking on a bit of cleaning and cooking duties for the brothers when the arrangement was made to pay Mr. Hyatt rent for use of the trailer. Viola would later find out that arrangement made with the Harper brothers was more than she had bargained for. The Harper brothers would become violent and mean after drinking, which they did quite often, and Viola would usually be the one to drive them to town. It was said Viola and Lee were dating, possibly engaged, but not much evidence exists to prove this as accurate. Viola spent what spare time she had with the Harper brothers, 
but not necessarily on the happiest of conditions. We're going to take a quick pause. I just want to give you guys a heads up. We're about to go into some details of the crime that some may find disturbing. We're going to be discussing some gun violence, dismemberment, sexual assault, and abuse. If any of these topics bother you, please feel free to fast forward or take a break from this podcast. Take care of yourself first. We'll be here when you're ready. Around midnight on June 28, 1959, Viola reached her breaking point and decided to put an end to her misery. She left the brother's residence to retrieve her father's 12-gauge shotgun from the family home and headed back towards the brother's location. Once inside, she shot both brothers in the face without hesitation, possibly while they were sleeping. She left the trailer shortly after killing the men, only to return with her father's double-bit axe and a makeshift wheelbarrow. Viola proceeded to remove the arms and legs from each of the brothers for easier transport. She then tossed the pieces into a wheelbarrow and moved the bodies of the men to the backseat of their car. Let's take a second to process that. Viola just ended the lives of two people, had the mindset to dismember them for easier transport, and planned a drive to dispose of the pieces. What would push someone to that? Was it temporary insanity? Did she plan it as if some chore to check off a list? Or was there maybe something more disturbing that led her to commit such a heinous act? Viola settled in the car and headed out on a route she later referred to as the Whiskey Trail. She crossed through Calhoun, Etowah, St. Clair, and Cleburne County to dispose of the two men's bodies and other items from the crime. The first torso was discovered by O.T. Holliday on June 28th. The torso known as Mr. X was located off a dirt driveway of an abandoned shack near Tala, Alabama in Etowah County. The other torso, known as Mr. Y, was found by a woman walking in the woods near her home in St. Clair County. The remaining body parts were disposed of further down the old whiskey trail Viola had set off on. An arm and leg that had been tossed into the Tallapoosa River located in Cleburne County were never recovered. Autopsies were performed on the torsos, during which it was found that Mr. X had a meal of dried beans, tomatoes, onions, and a coffee with cream approximately an hour before death. Mr. Y had a meal that consisted of tomatoes, beef, onions, and French dressing, also about an hour before death. One torso was found with a bit of fabric wrapped around the neck that contained the name Lee. This find would later lead authorities to Lee Harper. The torsos, still unidentified at this time, were buried in shallow graves with no headstones. The piece of fabric was left around the deceased's neck at burial. That bit of information kind of shocked me. I understand that this is the late 50s, and the investigation process was still evolving. But how was that evidence not removed, and at least stored with the file or something? Were we really that far behind in collection techniques? Or was it a mistake on behalf of the coroner, or maybe the investigating authorities? We may never know, 
but thankfully, Etowah County Sheriff Dewey Colvard had the bodies exhumed and the piece of fabric removed and placed in evidence. This would be the first break in discovering the identity of the torsos. The next break in the case would come shortly after the Birmingham News published sketches of what the men's faces may have looked like, drawn by cartoonist Charles Brooks. A pair of patrolmen from Calhoun County were on duty in an area not far from White Plains when a man flagged them down. This man proceeded to pull out the sketch from the newspaper that depicted the faces of two torsos found in neighboring counties. He thought it could be the two Harper brothers that lived on the Hyatt farm down the road. The patrolman and the man who had just identified the potential victims made their way to the farm where Mr. Hyatt told the tale he'd been telling for three weeks. The men did live there, but they had been on vacation down in Andalusia in Covington County. And the two men weren't back yet. It appeared Mr. Hyatt may have been covering for his daughter when he provided this information. It was later reported Viola had been calling the men's workplaces to inform them the men had become ill and later had left to visit family. The next day, roughly 30 investigators arrived at the farm to search the property. By the end of the day, Viola, her father, and stepmother were all taken into custody. Early the following morning, Viola was arrested after confessing to the murders. Her parents were released, and Viola took the authorities on that same route, the Whiskey Trail, she drove that early summer morning to dispose of the Harper brothers' bodies. When questioned about her crimes, Viola changed her reasons several times, which we'll get into a little later. She was sent to Bryce Hospital for observation, and after a month-long stay, she was found sane and competent to stand trial. Viola was indicted on two counts of murder by a Calhoun County jury. The court date was set for September 28th. Viola pled guilty, charged with first-degree murder, and faced life in prison for each of the murders. She was sent to Julia Tutwiler Prison for Women in Wetumpka, Alabama, April of 1960. During her incarceration, both of her parents passed away, but she was allowed to attend the funerals. Ten years after she was sentenced to life in prison, Viola was granted parole in April of 1970 for good behavior. She was considered an upstanding inmate who always followed the rules and did what she was told. This woman, who murdered two men and dismembered them, then scattered the pieces in four separate counties, had only spent 10 years of her life sentence in prison. While some situations may qualify for early release, many of the locals were shocked to find Viola was being released so early. Viola returned to the very farm where she had committed those violent acts. She was living with her uncle and his wife, who had been taking care of the farm after Martin Hyatt's death. Viola was granted parole on the condition she would be working. The job she had lined up was a caretaker to the mother of the uncle's wife. Unfortunately, the wife and Viola did not get along, so Viola moved to Jacksonville, Alabama, with other distant family members. Viola would later die in a hospital bed on June 12, 2000, in Jacksonville. When she died, she took the truth of what really happened that summer all those years ago. We're going to take a quick break, but when we return, we're going to discuss a few of the explanations for why Viola may have committed such gruesome attacks.
Welcome back. Before the break, we learned Viola had passed away, taking the truth behind her crimes with her. What led her to shoot two men in the face and remove their limbs as if she was butchering one of the farm's hogs? Was it an abuse or an act of rage after tending to the men's requests? Or was she actually covering up the crime for someone else? The only statement she made in court was, They done me wrong. She had listed various reasons from a failed romance to abuse, but never actually discussed in detail what led to her violent attack on the two brothers. It has been speculated the men were paying her for more than just cooking and cleaning, as she had initially agreed to have sex with one or both of the men for additional compensation. But Viola had become repulsed by the acts they were having her participate in that were not part of their original agreement. Other reports speculate she was possibly being sexually assaulted by the men or feared attacks on her father after they had threatened him when returning from another night out drinking. We don't promote vigilante justice here, but if she was being sexually assaulted or feared for abuse against her father, one could understand why she may have snapped and decided to take care of the problem. Not many people who knew Viola want to discuss her case or give any theories for her actions nowadays. While researching this case, I read several articles from the past about the crimes or motives, and it seems each one lists a different reason for why Viola committed those murders. It was a passion killing, an act of protection, or an act of rage after another one of the Harper brothers' drunken nights out. Only Viola herself knows why she chose violence that night. I'm hoping to have a little update on this case after I have a chance to interview someone who knew Viola personally. I will discuss any updates on an episode in the near future. I grew up hearing about this case. I am from Jacksonville, Alabama, not far from White Plains. I even lived in White Plains for a time, as well as Cleburne County. And I never really knew the extent of this crime until I started research for this podcast. And it's very troubling that we don't have all the information. But at the end of the day, whether it was just a random murderous act or maybe something more sinister, like Viola's possible abuse, it really makes you wonder what was going on on that farm and inside that trailer. But we may never know. I'll let you know if I find anything else out in further research. But thank you for tuning in to Felonious Crimes. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode, because next week we'll be hanging out in Alabama again. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast player of your choice. For more Felonious Crimes content, follow us on Instagram at Felonious Crimes. Tweet us on Twitter at Felonious Crimes. If you have a case you would like us to cover, send an email titled Case Request to feloniouscrimespodcast at gmail.com. Have a great day, y'all. And don't forget, trust your gut. Bye.